Good morning. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 33, through chapter 6, verse 5. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. This is kind of weird. Here I am, and here's Pastor. Why isn't he up here? <laughs> Pastor called me uh, a week, uh, several weeks ago and I mentioned that uh, this week he was going to be going down to California to uh, spend some time with a mentor and kind of a celebration down there. And so he asked if I would fill in this Sunday, even though he was going to be sitting right there under my nose. And so that's, that's, where, that's where this switch came about. Got to get uh, situated here. We're going to continue in our, our series in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the notes for you are in the uh, bulletin. I tried to fill it up so that there was little room for you to take any extra notes or draw any pictures of the pastor or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, you take those notes and then take them home with you. Be sure not to leave them in the, in the pew or in the, on, on the chair because uh, we'll clean up and I'll be able to see what you, what you wrote. Um, in fact, that reminds me that uh, there was uh, a note picked up one time in the pew, and this is what it said. The color of our pastor's eyes, I cannot clearly define. When he prays, his eyes are closed, and when he preaches, I close mine. And I want to assure you, Jeff, that was not found in the pew here. Um, before we begin, let me pray. 
Lord God, I, uh, I thank you for just the opportunity that you give to us each week, that we can look into your word and, God, be led by your spirit. We pray to that end this morning, that your spirit would once again be the one who leads us in this passage. Direct us to the things that you would have us know and understand. God, I pray that there would be uh, uh, a removal from Satan and his demons from this place in every way such that we can clearly see you uh, in this word. God, we want to see your face. We want to see your eyes. Bless us now in this your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The Pharisees um, are about to really enter into this dialogue with Jesus, not only in the passage that we just read, that Kathy just shared with us, but, but in, throughout the rest of this book, and uh, all the way to the cross. The, the Pharisees were, were after him ever since he said, your sins are forgiven, and they said, who is it that can forgive sins other than God? Exactly right. Only God could do that. And Jesus was presenting himself as God. So they sought to trap him by their constant questioning and challenging of him. They were relentless in it. But their questions were not motivated to know him, necessarily, to, to really understand him. Their questions were motivated more to trap him or catch him. And as I looked at that passage, I thought, you know, there's sometimes that I find myself questioning God for maybe the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives behind it for some of the same self-righteousness or self-centeredness or self-seeking sorts of things that maybe even the Pharisees were seeking. We don't like to identify with the Pharisees. That's not us. <laughs> but yet, when our motives are not driven by true worship of him, that's right where we can be. And so I wanted to look today at this idea of questioning God and give us some thoughts, maybe look at this passage uh, to help us in thinking about and checking on where our motives may be in our questions of God. The outline that we're going to follow is we're going to put both, pass, both uh, incidents the, that were read, the fasting incident and the Sabbath incident, it's kind of side by side. It's in, your bullet, it's in your notes there. And we're going to look at the, kind of the outline that both of these follow. There's an inquiry, there's an instruction, and there's an illustration in both of them. And so that's how we'll, we're going to do it. It's kind of a little bit different uh, way of approaching a passage rather than tracking straight through we're going to bounce back and forth so my prayer this morning has been oh let me let me let me stay on track <laughs> and hopefully you can keep up with me so the inquiry the instruction and the illustration that's where we're going to be first of all the inquiry and in the passage 
the opening verses in, in uh, the end, towards the end of chapter 5 and then the opening verses in chapter 6, both uh, share with us or give to us an inquiry, a question that comes to Jesus through these Pharisees. The first one has to do with fasting. It has to do with this idea of uh, the fact that they, uh, Jesus and his disciples weren't fasting and the Pharisees were, that was what they did. And so this very well could be a direct follow-up from the passage that just before it in verses uh, uh, that, that banquet that Levi was having and where the Pharisees there kind of grumbled amongst themselves as to why they were eating and drinking with sinners, what was going on there. It very well could be that this event, this question where they come to Jesus with the fasting question, is coming right out of that. It could be that this was one of the Pharisees' fast days. <laughs> fasting days. <laughs> and, but regardless... They came to him and they noticed Jesus wasn't fasting. They were, why not? <laughs> In the Sabbath thing, they come to him with the question, you know, he's, here he is walking with his disciples through the fields and they are gathering the grain and eating it, grind, uh, uh, grinding it up in their hands and, and blowing the chaff out and then eating the grain that's left. They we're doing that on the Sabbath, why are you not following the Sabbath? Why do, you, why do you do what you do? That's the questions that they seem to be asking Jesus. Fasting and, and working on the Sabbath. That's where they were. Why don't you do this, is the question they're asking Jesus relative to fasting, and why do you do this <laughs> relative to the Sabbath? I want to look for a moment just at a few fasting facts for you, with you. First of all, I found that there's really only one required regular fast given in the Bible. In, our old, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Leviticus, I believe, uh, fasting was required on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's the only one that's required. Yet, there were others, fasts that came about. People would give up eating in order to uh, uh, grieve over a loss or, or uh, uh, sorrow over sin. Daniel uh, fasted in the book of Daniel. Ezra called the people to a fast in the book of Ezra. Esther, I mean, there, there are multiple places where a fast were called for, but there is only one required regular fast. So here the Pharisees were. Uh, they were fasting twice a week. And I read somewhere that apparently their fasting days were Monday and Thursday. And since fasting was associated with grief and sorrow, apparently those are the only days that they experienced grief and sorrow, and, and so they had to, had to come to grieve on Monday and Thursday. It, it seems kind of ridiculous. 
And yet, that's where they were. Jesus addressed the fasting issue in the Sermon on the Mount. And when he talked about that and how, how that uh, some would come to the fast and make a show of it. They would put ashes on their face and, and uh, make themselves look all gray and sullen and, and put the frown on their face. Maybe they look something like this guy. I had to show you this picture before my wife showed you. <laughs> I don't know how I put that expression on my face. I was uh, uh, officiating at a wedding. The gentleman, in, <laughs> the gentleman in front of me there was the father of the bride. And I think I had just asked the question, who gives this, bride, this woman to be uh, given, who gives her away? And I was looking for the answer. And... The, the wedding photographer took these pictures and she handed it to the, to the mother of the bride afterwards and said, this one didn't make the album. <laughs> but it's like the Pharisees were putting on this face that, that they wanted others to see that they were in sorrow, they were in, in pain, they were in grief. Look at me, I'm fasting, I am so religious because of it. And so much so that it had become their tradition. Now, there's nothing wrong with tradition. I like traditions. However, their tradition had become the ritual that had replaced their purpose for worshiping God. And sometimes I think, you know, we need to be aware of that and wary of that. I appreciate Pastor. He, he, every now and then he'll say, well, why do we do this? We, it's good that we would re, be reminded as to why we do the things that we do. It's not about us. It's about God. How about the Sabbath? The disciples and Jesus had been walking through this grain field and they were they were grinding it up and they were doing work according to what the Pharisees were calling work. The Old Testament command relative to the Sabbath was simply rest from work. The Pharisees chose to try to add to that by defining work. It was the Sabbath was given for mankind's good. In, uh, in the account, this same account in Mark, Mark adds the words that the Sabbath was given to man, not man for the Sabbath. So God provided this as a good thing for us. And yet for the Pharisees, it had become a burdensome day. So much so that uh, people dreaded the Sabbath. They added this burdensome definition of work. I found that there were 24 chapters in the Talmud dedicated to the characteristics of and defining the Sabbath and what work could or could not be done on the Sabbath. I want to share with you just a few examples. I don't have 24 chapters of them here, but I, I just got a few examples. There was the 3,000 foot rule. 
you could travel no more than 3,000 feet from home unless on Friday before the Sabbath you had planted food at the 3,000 foot mark then you could go 3,000 more because you'd constituted that point as your home since your food was there. The carry rule. You couldn't carry anything on your person that weighed more than a dried fig, but you could carry a half a fig two times on the Sabbath. So get rid of your phone. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot carry anything more than a dried fig. How about the catching rule? If you threw something in the air, you could catch it in the same hand, but if you threw it in the air and caught it with the other hand, that was work. Ah, the bathing rule. You couldn't take a bath for fear that the water would flow off of you and wash the floor. These, these sound ridiculous, but they became uh, the burdensome attitude and the burdensome tasks of the Sabbath. The harvest rule. These are forbidden. Reaping, threshing, winnowing, sifting, grinding. What the disciples were doing was reaping, grinding, blowing the chaff, sifting, and then grinding in their mouth. They were working. Why are you doing this? Why do you do this on the Sabbath? What a shock to their system. Jesus said in the same account in Matthew, he said, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You've lost track of where things are. You lost track of what God has instituted these things for. You've lost track of what is taking place in, in uh, the heart of God. He desires mercy and love over the ritual, legalistic practices that we sometimes lay forth. Why don't you fast like us? And why... Do you break the Sabbath unlike us? That's kind of where the, the questions came from, from the, from the Pharisees. Kind of putting themselves forward. If you find yourself test, uh, um, questioning God, I would say test your motives. Stop and take time to test where you're really coming from. In Psalm 26, the psalmist prays this, test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. Is that really where your heart is? Is that really where your motive is? To walk in his truth? To understand his truth? Sometimes I think we will test God and question God and say, why aren't you useful to me? Rather than, I want to know you 
in this situation. I'm hurting. I want to, you know my hurts. I'm, I want out of this, but I am still trusting you. It's okay to lament. I would say it's not okay to grumble. See, there's a difference. You know, I, I got questions in the, in the notes for the growth groups later this week. I think a good question, growth group leaders, to add to that would be, what's the difference between grumbling and lamenting? That would be a good question to ask. When I uh, was preparing for this message, I don't expect you to read what's on the screen. I just wanted you to see, I had a worksheet that I did. I, th I was thinking about, you know, there's this whole idea of questioning God and, and the motives that come behind that. And I, I wonder, what were the questions in, just in the book of Luke that the disciples were asking and the Pharisees were asking? And so I, I took a sheet of paper and I, I, uh, again, I'm not expecting you to see everything, but at the top, that says questions of Jesus in Luke. And here's Jesus' disciples, and I put a squiggle down the middle, and then this is the questions that the other, the other people were asking of Jesus. Interesting thing. Here's what I found. The disciples, their questions were like, what do you want us to do? What does this parable mean? Will you teach us to pray? Versus, who gives you this authority? Why do you do what you do? Why don't you act like us? Should I pay taxes? Oh, what a contrast of motive. If you find yourself questioning God, check your motives. Seek to know him even in your questioning of him. I loved what the discovery that I made of the disciples in their questioning. Teach us to pray. I want to know, I want, I want to know what to do. Fortunately, it wasn't in the book of Luke where James and John asked the question, will you let us have a seat at the table beside you in, 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 the, in the kingdom? <laughs> Can we sit on your right and left? That wasn't in there, but that was a wrong motive. And Jesus uh, kind of reprimanded them for that. Seek to know him. Seek to, you know, at the, at the outset we talked about uh, knowing the color of the pastor's eyes. Seek to know the color of Jesus' eyes. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I know the color of my wife's eyes. They're hazel. How did I come to know that? I looked intently into her face because I wanted to know her. Look intently 
into Jesus' face and seek to know him even in your questions of him. Let's go on. The instruction. The, the questions were asked. What about the fasting? What about the Sabbath? What about working on the Sabbath? How come you do this or how come you don't do that? And then the instruction that Jesus gives. The thing of it is that Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? And then on the other, in the Sabbath side of the question, it was, and Jesus answered them, have you not read? You notice what Jesus did, does here? He answers their question, or he gets at their question with a question. <laughs> Good teachers cause their students to think. It wasn't like, I'm going to give you the answer. It was, I want you to think about this. It's, it's like, Think hard about your question on fasting. Th haven't you ever read in your Bibles? <laughs> See, I think Jesus would have us pause and truly be honest with ourselves in examining our heart. Does the wedding party fast with the groom present? It's kind of an obvious thing. The wedding, wedding party celebration is a time to rejoice. And let's have something to eat. Isn't that what we do when we get together? That's not the time to fast. It was obvious what Jesus was saying. He was the groom. And he was with them. Haven't you read your Bibles? Haven't you looked into the scriptures? Understand and know the truth that is there. Our learning of him comes through our relationship to him. Yes, we can learn about him through reading the Bibles. We can learn about him through what people tell us but it's our relationship with him where we truly grow in our learning. It's our relationship with him where he reveals to us who he is and what he desires of us. It's our relationship to him, with him, that grows us up into the likeness of him. If you find yourself questioning God, think about it. Think about your question. Are you trying to get out of something that's really hard for you right now? Are you trying to get away from something that's really painful for you right now? Think about what you are asking of God in regard to that. There's a verse in the Bible in James 1:17. It says this: "Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights." There's a verse in Romans that kind of parallels that thought. 
And we know that in all things, those who love God and are called according to his purpose, he's going to work out the good. Now, when we're going through the hard times, we don't like to necessarily be reminded of that. But if our motive is to get out of the hard time, maybe we need to take enough time to think about why the hard time might be there. Maybe there's something good God has in mind for us. Maybe our question should be, Lord, teach me. Teach me what, what it is you want me to know. Jesus was in the garden. He prayed in that garden. If you could take this cup from me, Yet not my will, but yours. See, he lamented where he was at. And we can lament. We can share with God where we're hurting. He wants to hear that from us. But our question should not be, Lord, make yourself useful to me. Take the time to think about it. Finally, Jesus goes into these illustrations. He, he, he shares this illustration relative to the fasting question regarding a new garment and an old garment, new wine and an old wine, and old wine. putting new wine into old wineskins, putting a, a new garment patch on an old garment. Now, you wouldn't go... To the, to the store to buy a new pair of, of pants if you had a hole in your old pair. And when you got the new pair home, you wouldn't cut out a patch out of that new pair and put it on the old one, would you? Maybe may, may do. I don't know. I, I, but, but that seems a little ridiculous. And that's the point that Jesus is making. We don't put new patches on old cloth, old garments. We don't put new wine in old wineskins. The, uh, the people would have understood what he was saying there in terms of, because that's where they, how they stored their wine, in wineskins made from animals. And those older wineskins would, would start to dry and crack. And, and if you put new wine in that old wine, in that old wineskin, and the new wine was fermenting and causing all these gases and things that happened with, the, with that fermentation process, they would break the old wineskins. No, you put new wine in new wineskins. Jesus didn't come to patch up our old life. He came to give us new life. He didn't come so that we could just put a patch on that old thing that was going on where we got a hole in it and, and, and maintain that. He came to give us new life. It's kind of an interesting, uh, at least I thought it was interesting and I uh, thought odd uh, statement right at the end of chapter 5 in verse 38. 39, after giving this illustration of, of the wineskins, Jesus said, And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. 
I wasn't sure I quite understood what that was saying until I, I, I thought about it. I think he's saying there are those who would rather hold on to their old life than take on the new. The old's good enough. I'll just patch it up a little bit. No. He's saying, I want to give you a new life. And then the the illustration on the Sabbath side of things was the illustration of, of David when he was with his men being sought after by Saul and they were running from Saul and they were out of out of food and they were hungry and they went into the tabernacle where the where the priest was and asked for some bread now the practice of that day was to do this they would uh, uh, do uh, prepare this bread of presence that is referred to here the bread of presence was placed into the uh, into the tabernacle area into the holy area and it was placed before the Lord. It was put there and it stayed there for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they would have a, a new bread of presence placed there. And the old bread was taken out and that was only, and could only be eaten by the priests. And so when David and his men show up, they're asking for bread. And the, and the priest says, well, I have no bread here except the bread of the presence which I'm taking out from last week and put it, I've put in new, so I've still got that old bread there. But only the priest could eat it. And he gave it to David's men and David, and they ate it. Now, if there was mercy shown to the men over sacrifice... Why do you Pharisees hold on to the tradition of the Sabbath the way that you do? Why do you add to that in this way? David and his men ate the consecrated bread. Jesus didn't abandon the use of the Sabbath or the fast, for that matter, he challenged the abuse of it. Alistair Begg, one of my favorite uh, preachers that I listen to often, said that. I added the quote about, or the fast. (laughs) Jesus didn't abandon the use of those things. There's times that I fast. You saw how I looked. There's times that, and I hope there are times, that you observe the Sabbath, a day of rest. But to abuse those things, Jesus wasn't abandoning the use. He was challenging the abuse. If you find yourself questioning God, remember who you are. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
Jesus didn't come to patch up an old life. He came to give you a new one. Remember who you are. little summary here. With the fasting uh, example, fasting circumstance, uh, adherence tr- to their tradition had kind of become the forefront of it. And as we mentioned earlier, tradition, there's nothing wrong with tradition, but the adherence to it, to where it, it foreshadows, it takes away, we cause to forget even why we do what we do. Why do we do communion? Well, if your answer to that is because we've always done it, then you've lost sight of why. Jesus told us why to do it. Every time we do, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a lot of other things that maybe we could ask ourselves, do I know the why? Think about it. Take time to think about where our motives are coming from, where, where we are. Uh, we ought to uh, understand and know that if I hold so strongly to this adherence of tradition, I can become blind to the truth of what it is. On the other side, in the Sabbath area, they, they were adding to the truth. Jesus told them, haven't you read in your Bibles? So we ought to read the truth. We ought to become familiar with the truth, so much so that we can know when the truth isn't in what we're hearing or seeing. Understand this, that counterfeiters, or uh, uh, people who want to identify counterfeits, are often trained up in making sure they know the true thing, the true piece of money. The understanding, knowing that, so familiar with that, becoming so acquainted with that true dollar bill that when the fake one comes, they can see it right away. We ought to become familiar with the Bible, the truth of God, and understand it in a a way that we can identify when it's not right, when it's coming at us in a wrong way. Addition to truth is not the truth. So, again, I mentioned, you know, my prayer would be that this would track somewhere, this would go somewhere, that we would kind of understand what uh, uh, this passage is saying and what, what it's uh, uh, meaning for us. And so I had to ask myself, well, so what? <laughs> so what? about what we've looked at. So what are we going to do when we leave here today? So what am I going to do relative to my own time in questioning God? Are you questioning him? First thing is to test your motive. And try to be honest in that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let that be your prayer.
we got to take time to really think hard about it. Why am I questioning God? What does his word say? And then remember who you are. You're a child of God. And he is God and not you. We ought to be glad for that. Because he knows far better. And then we ought to open our eyes to Jesus. We ought to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, teach us your truth. I pray, God. I pray, Lord, if there are any here this morning that are are struggling in life right now and find themselves questioning you about, about that struggle or about what's taking place, I pray, Lord, that these words have maybe been a comfort to them. Knowing what you've done in the past and knowing your concern is for them. I pray, God, that you will work out that good thing that is there, even though we can't see it now. Lord, I don't think we can say what color your eyes are. But I would say that they're they're the color of love. They're the color of compassion. They're the color of salvation. God, I pray that we would truly desire to look into your face and lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen.